honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. The first time I had done a mothers and daughters model mugging class as the facilitator, uh, I was wearing what's called a Fist 333 suit. And uh, it's, it's designed for prison guards to go in with a bunch of them working together to take a prisoner out of their cell uh, who does not want to come out of the cell. These are great suits, very high quality suits. Um, and uh, kind of infamously, the helmets leave a little bit to be desired. And, and the, um, so I'm, I'm doing this takedown on this 14-year-old. And the, uh, a good standard takedown is kind of a bear hug from behind. And you keep the knees nice, nice and low and nice and bent. And this girl got a leg in between my legs and around one of my feet and tripped me backwards so that I landed on my butt and on my back. She fell on top of me. And she very quickly maneuvered into what's called the mounted position where she's on top and her, her hips are higher than mine. So she's more sitting on my stomach uh, than our hips just being, uh, uh, her hips being on top of mine. And I had my arms up and I'm flailing and I'm, I'm playing the part of the attacker and she's being mugged. Um, this 14 year old wasn't having it. And what she did was reach down with her left hand and sweep both of my arms towards my chest and started pile driving her right elbow into my left temple. What I remember is I got hit once twice and then on the third time I started to curl up into the fetal position and that's generally the sign that we give up and they need to get up and run away but that was not the case with me I was not curling up because I was consciously saying she's done a good job and her exercise is over I was curling up because she had concussed me and I was starting to go a little brain stupid and the other two facilitators came in and called a stop to it and I was cashed for the rest of the event. In this workshop we did, what we would do is have the mothers tell their daughters what to do next. And the idea was, if God forbid it ever happened, that these girls would hear their mother's voices saying, kick him in the nuts, punch him in the face, poke his eyes out, uh, uh, knee strike, elbow strike, palm strike. Um, 
it was a potent experience. And it set me off on a series of teaching at high schools and in sororities, um, teaching this thing that we obviously still need, that girls need, that women need. This episode of Beyond Risk and Back is called Making an Impact. And my guests are from Chicago. And their organization teaches workshops like this. And, and in reading their website, it's very clear that they do much more than this. But I'm going to let them explain this to you. That they're working with women and with girls to teach them how to survive an attack. This is powerful stuff. And for every mother that's listening, for every therapist and teacher that's listening, who knows they got a kid in their classroom, in their therapist's office, or in their home that is feeling scared, afraid of, of, of being bullied, and if they're older, and if something has already happened, you need to know it's not too late to get your girl into this program or into a program like this and get them to do this work because it is unbelievably empowering, but more than just empowering, it'll keep them alive. My guests today are Robert, AC and Martha from Impact in Chicago. And in this series, my daughter Maya is my co-host. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Folks from Impact, thank you very much. Maya, how you doing, honey? I'm very excited for this one. I am, as you know, very familiar with being attacked by men in big suits. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm really excited to, to hear about what these people are doing, and I'm glad that this is starting to get out there because... Um, usually when I tell people about model mugging, I tell my friends about model mugging and that it was such a big part of my childhood. They think that I was raised by a crazy person and, <laughs> <laughs> and at first it's funny. And then my next thing is, you know, why don't more girls know how to do this? Um, so I'm excited for this one cause I'm familiar with it and, and I'm excited to get more parents and teens familiar with this. Who I have on the line with us is Martha, who has been uh, around Impact for the longest. We're going to call her boss goddess, for lack of a better term. Uh, we have Robert, who's been uh, the senior instructor and the instructor trainer for 19 years, and uh, a new instructor with Impact, who we're going to call AC. His real name is Aaron, and he happens to be a friend of mine from high school. Uh, we've remained extremely close throughout the, all, all the years. We'll get to him in a little bit because I want to know how he got from me breaking his nose to hoping <laughs> that a woman does. But Martha, first of all, thank you for saying yes to coming on the, the program, uh, to bringing your instructors, and for answering the questions for parents, teachers, and clinicians. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do out there on the front lines. And please... Start at the beginning. Why are you doing this? How did you get into this? What's going on with you? I got involved in Impact. It was formerly, we were formerly a model mugging organization, but over the years, for several reasons, we moved uh, along with a lot of other chapters to um, Impact, Impact International, which we're also part of. Uh, I personally got involved a friend of mine one of those friends that might be like UNAC I don't know but one of those friends who said to me you should really take this course and she was a friend who when she said pay attention uh, I did so I took I took the class um, which is the one that we're now teaching or I mean it's, it was an earlier version 
earlier version of that, of full force self-defense, learning to defend myself with my voice and, and my body. Um, and I'm, I, I'm a professor of sociology and women and gender studies. And so that means I spent, I've spent a lot of my life trying to institute change through people's heads. And what I found so powerful about the program for myself was engaging the body and the mind simultaneously. The enormous changes that, that I saw, not only in other people, but in my, myself as well. And not only changes, but just realizations. Um, so here I am, somebody who uses my voice for a living, and I found it much easier to hit somebody than to tell them to go away and leave me alone. And that was a real shocker, a shocker for me, um, to realize, even though I use my voice for a living, that there were ways in which my voice was limited. Um, and I, I think this has been true for me my whole life. When I find something that is absolutely stunning for me, I want to share. I want to share those skills. I want to uh, become part of it. And when the people at that time who started the organization here in Chicago asked me if I would come on board to do curriculum development, I, I didn't hesitate. I just said yes, having no idea that I was going to be doing it, uh, still being involved 30 years later. Uh, but I think what, what drew me initially and it keeps me, I guess, keeps me engaged is what you, what you said, the impact, the, the power, the power of learning to use our bodies and our voices effectively, how, um, how that it's not only an immediate thing in an attack, but it really just infuses, uh, infuse my whole life and I've seen it infuse other people's lives. Robert, you've been an instructor, the senior instructor and the instructor trainer now for uh, a while. You've been involved with Impact for 19 years. Um, what got you into this? Um, good question. Um, you know, kind of growing up, I was always kind of leaned left of center when it came to social or political or those types of issues. And when it came to feminism and, and women's issues, um, I kind of thought I got it, right? I had, uh, uh, I'd put the toilet seat down, I'd hold the door open and uh, made sure mom always got flowers on Mother's Day. Um, so I kind of thought I was doing okay. And then when I was in graduate school, I had a colleague recommend a book uh, to me. And again, similar to Martha, not, not the kind of friend you're gonna say no to. The book was The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. Uh, and this book really just kind of breaks down the sexism and misogyny in our society. Um, and after reading this book, I, I had got a, a moment of clarity in my life where I, I discovered that not being a part of the problem was not enough. I needed to be a part of the solution. Um, shortly after that, I moved to Chicago. Uh, I got involved um, with a group, among other things, with a group called RVA, which stands for Rape Victim Advocates. And they're a social service organization in Chicago that when I was associated with them, and they do several things, legal advocacy, medical advocacy, um, those types of things, 
They also do emergency room advocates. And so when I was associated with them for about, at the time, they had contracts for 13 or 14 Chicago hospitals that when a rape survivor shows up in their emergency room, they page an advocate to go be with the survivor um, to make sure that individual is treated with dignity and respect during the entire process. Uh, being male identified, I could not be an emergency room advocate, but I um, could do some outreach and education work for them, which I did. Um, at the same time, I was also very into my martial art and uh, was doing both things. And then I saw, uh, kind of on a chance notice, I saw an ad looking for impact control. And what I really liked about RVA is I felt like they were very much activists in this. Uh, and that's what I like about impact. So I got to kind of combine my two passions. Um, I talked on the phone with Martha, who has, uh, other than being boss goddess, has fulfilled every role at impact, director, instructor, instructor, trainer, curriculum developer, um, I'm not going to run out the whole hour with her roles. We had a conversation on the phone that was an interview, but she was so smooth. I didn't know it was an interview. I thought it was just a conversation. I, I did well enough that I got passed on, and that was uh, 1998, 1999, and I've uh, been doing it ever since. Um, and um, it's one of those things I, I think we've all experienced this in our lives. I can't not do it, right? It's just in your blood, and you want to be a part of it. Um, so I'm very happy to be doing it. As you pointed out, I've been involved for 19 years. I've not been the senior instructor or the instructor training for 19 years. That's more recent. Um, but I'm very happy to be involved, and I look forward to teaching in November. AC, it doesn't surprise me that you do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I know you. I know what it was like when we would sit in my bedroom or your bedroom in high school and wish we had the courage to talk to girls. Um, and both you and I had a modicum of uh, uh, respect for who they were. We were not the, the quintessential uh, boys who were out there trying to get some. Um, not to say that in those younger days, we, we would have said no had it been offered, <laughs> but it wasn't. And we did not, we did not understand pursuing. Um, but we did hold doors and we did, as, as Robert was saying, put the toilet seat down. And the second reason why I'm not surprised that you do it is because I know your wife and I think she would kick your ass if you didn't do it. But <laughs> underneath that, because you've started this recently, I want to know what precipitated the change versus, again, not just saying this is wrong and I love my wife and I'm not okay with this into, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there on the line for this. How did, how did this come about recently? Well, honestly, I mean, it was interesting because the path really began um, when I was facilitating the first enlightened warrior training camp with you in 2013. Um, for listeners who don't know, I'm sure they do, but Aaron teaches, um, a uh, program called predicament or ordeal or a variety of things uh, at the Enlightened Warrior training camps. And in 2013, he invited me to be part of the team. And uh, I didn't know, you know, really what I was getting into. Uh, but part of the program is about boundary setting and, uh, you know, using your voice um, to, to establish that boundary. And uh, I just found those exercises incredibly powerful and empowering, you know, as, as the facilitator and watching the participants, 
you know, really set a boundary and protect themselves, protect the people in their lives um, with nothing more than their voice and their energy. And I found that just, I was like, wow, I, you know, and I, I, I know I told you at the time, I was like, I want to do this. And, you know, <laughs> for better, or for worse, there aren't camps, you know, every day. Um, so I went home from Barcelona in 2013 and was looking for ways to implement this. Um, and as fate would have it, um, about a year later, there was a, uh, there was a report of a sexual predator within the Chicago theater community. I'm an actor here in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I found myself kind of thrust into the center of that, um, trying to help set up a program so that, uh, women could feel safe in what well, women and everybody else, but women in particular, women could feel safe in a rehearsal environment, um, in a performance environment. And not, uh, and that was kind of a big wake up call for me. I think, you know, as Rob mentioned, uh, that moment of clarity where you think, oh, well, wait, that's not happening. That's not happening now in 2015. Come on. And then you find out, oh, no, no, it is happening. And uh, you've been kind of willfully ignorant or, you know, just blissfully ignorant. Because um, it was a real big wake up call for me and just kind of realizing the casual uh, ignorance that I'd indulged in of just like, oh, and uh, thinking that everything was okay. And then the, uh, then the blinders were lifted and you're like, wow, it has not been okay. It is not okay. And like Robert, I was like, I need to be part of the solution. And so um, I was part of a group called Not In Our House Chicago, which uh, uh, over the past few years has created a, um, a Chicago standard of conduct and what that is, is it's a, you know, kind of a, a list of, of rules that you would ask a theater to comply with, you know, in that uh, having, you know, uh, having somebody in the room at all times when there's a rehearsal going on that involves intimacy, that uh, any kind of uh, nudity or sexual conduct that's going to be taking place on stage, that, the, you know, there's a whole, like, list of things that keep people safe physically and emotionally. A best practice. Um, Pardon? Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. And then um, in continuing that work, you know, I, I was like, well, I, you know, I want to, I want to be more, I want to continue being part of the solution. And right around then, uh, Michelle, uh, my wife, took the core program with Impact in November 2016. And, you know, by then I had already done several of the Enlightened Warrior training camps and she came home and she said, this is your work. This is what you need to be doing because it's everything you're doing at the warrior camps and then some. Uh, and because of my schedule, it just took a while for me to get worked into the impact uh, program. And uh, along the way, I you know, got my uh, American Women's Self-Defense Association certification so that I could teach self-defense classes. And what I learned was in teaching women's self-defense, it's really best to have women teaching women's self-defense. There are things that cannot be heard the same way coming out of a man's mouth that they can out of a woman's mouth. And so, and that's very much how impact is run in that there's a female lead instructor and then there are the male suited instructors. And it is very much, you know, that is the hierarchy. There is a female lead instructor and the men who also have, you know, things to say, 
but it is it is very much a sense of you know the women are running running the program and i think that's how it should be um and and so you know over the course of the past year and a half i've been going through the training as a student instructor with impact and i'm uh i have a uh, a workshop that I'll be uh, in the suit again for in about three weeks. So we're okay. we're still working our way along. But yeah, it's been it's been a an interesting five years or so where it just kind of really everything just kind of kicked up a notch. Okay, so now now we're all here, and now we want to get to the to the kind of meat and potatoes questions. That was a great salad and everything. And I, I see Maya's got a Maya's got something to start with. So what I want to preface this conversation is, we're talking with people from Chicago. This past weekend, in 14 hours, there were 44 shootings in a 14-hour mm -hmm. period. You guys are living in a place that is infamous for violence in our country. So with that being said, Maya, what did you want to start with here? Yeah, I noticed, and this was something that actually both Robert and AC. Um, had mentioned is that that moment of enlightenment of of okay I'm not necessarily part of the problem but there's a problem and and being a woman it's interesting to hear that because I hear that a lot from men where it's like what like sexual harassment this happens to you every day and it, yes it does and it's it's interesting that from my side being one Martha I'm sure you can relate like it's it's interesting to hear that there's a point in a man's life where it's news to you. That, that there's a realization that this is happening because it's just a part of our lives. That's what it's like going out of the house. And I have to think about what I wear and I do carry a weapon in my hand. And I, I think about where I walk and I always have, in fact, right now I have one headphone out because I'm home alone. So it, it, this is something that I have to think about. And so I just, I had to call it out and, you know, and I, I love that, that, you chose to act on that moment of realization because a lot of men don't. It's like, oh, I'm not part, I'm not a sexual predator, so I'm good. Um, <laughs> and so, and that being said, being a woman and, and being wanting to be aware of my opportunities um, in my area um, for myself, for my friends, there's lots of self-defense out there. There's lots of martial arts programs. Um, you know, there's lots of self-defense classes. I would like to know why, why should parents seek out a program like impact, what's different, what's better about a program like impact than just signing your kid up for martial arts? And I guess that's a question for anybody. Okay. Well, I'll start that. Um, I think one of the things that impact does, and we're not the only, only program, I guess that does it, but I think the combination of the lead instructor and the suited instructor contributes uh, something very positive is this uh, what I guess we we would call scenario based training where um, it's scenario based and the participants really have an opportunity to practice skills in a simulated situation that feels very real emotionally i mean people know they're in a room and their mats in the floor and things like that but um i think one of the things that the suited instructors bring um is this creation uh the participation in collaboration with the lead instructor and really everybody else in the room this collaboration in creating real life scenarios and then 
participants having the opportunity to practice. And I can't tell you how many times um, uh, people have thought, I've said, I thought if this happened, this is what I would do. But that being faced with uh, a person, a, a person talking with you in a way that is maybe not even threatening. It may be just more uh, trying to get into your space and using soft language to uh, move their bodies closer. There's something very compelling about being in realistic scenarios and having the opportunity to use your voice. And then if that does not work, use, uh, use physical tools. So I think that is a huge reason. Um, it's not just a talking head thing. Like I was saying earlier, that's what um, really struck me as a teacher is it wasn't just talking and it wasn't just trying to get people to think differently. It's using our bodies in different ways. I think uh, Martha hit the nail on the head. I will add a, a few other things. Um, many of the programs, resources, products are, regarding this are aimed at a very small percentage of the assaults. Gender-based violence, four out of five times, in fact, a little bit more than that, comes to women and people who are women identified from people that they know. There's a conveyance of trust that is violated. And so the vast majority of resources, advice, et cetera, is all about stranger attacks, which are the significant minority. And so, Impact is able to do our teaching um, and construct scenarios that are fairly neutral and can be applied in any situation, whether it's a stranger attack, whether it's a family member, whomever. And we also don't discriminate based on, was well, this a domestic violence situation or a sexual assault attempt, things like that. Gender-based violence has a similar type of nature to it. Uh, and so the curriculum that we have and the, and the methodology that we teach is very transferable. And Martha knows more um, vignettes than I do about students who've taken the class, then been involved in a scenario that we did not train for or teach for and successfully um, fought off attacker or attackers. Uh, let, so let me I, interject here something because, yeah. because I'm curious for the listeners. Um, how does one of these classes or workshop look? Because now you guys are giving enough information that I'm mm -hmm. finding myself saying, okay, so, you know, do I walk and I sit there in a chair and somebody grabs me from behind in a stranglehold or does Martha come on and talk me through it first? Do I get to meet the instructors? Do they come in and the frightening and Martha talks? How does a, how does a workshop go? Just kind of briefly tell me how, my three, six, nine, 15 hours is gonna go with you guys. Well, for the, the program that we've really been talking about, it's uh, pretty much a 22 hour program offered over three or four days. Um, but the, the basic structure is um, we begin by everybody introducing themselves. So that includes all of the instructors, class assistants, the participants in the class. Um, we, and, and those introductions are not just name. Uh, people are given opportunities, uh, depending on how safe they feel, 
to say what their history may have been, why they're there, what, what might be motivating them to be there. Um, and I, I think what we really work on through setting uh, guidelines for around confidentiality, listening, um, various, various guidelines, that, that what we find pretty quickly, people uh, seem to, to recognize, well, this isn't exact, this is different than what I was expecting, that there's a supportive environment here. And we work very hard to establish that we're in this together. Um, and that really is a theme that goes, goes throughout. But in terms of the structure, we have this opening where we talk about the course, we talk about who we are, what our motivations are, find out from the participants. And um, uh, we, we gradually build tools. We do um, an opening demonstration of just a very basic tool where somebody, grab, somebody grabs our wrist, we do a strike to the face, we do a kick, um, and everybody gets... The instructor gets, doing this. <laughs> yeah, the instructor's doing the grab. Right. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, but then we just continue, we continue that where we demonstrate the instructors talk about, we, we uh, demonstrate that, we talk about from the standpoint of the defender, from the standpoint of the attacker, everybody has a chance to practice, to drill, and then go in this scenario and then debrief. And we just keep building over and over and over. So that, but that's a basic pattern. I don't know, Rob or AC, can you think of something else with that pattern that? Well, the techniques and the challenges are progressive. Yes. Yeah. And so simple things first, once we master those, there's a lot of confidence building with our students uh, that goes on. And uh, one kind of, um, overarching thing that I say at times during the class is that um, sexual predators and people who perpetrate gender-based violence rely largely on two things. That's isolation and silence. And so the class that we teach very much emphasizes in an actual way voice, using your voice as often as possible, and community. So we all, we work this together. When we process fights, we sit in circles. And, the, and the, the focus is very much on the class succeeding. We have had people of means ask for private classes and private teaching, and that's not something that we're, we're willing to do because the, the group part of it is so much a part of the curriculum, you can't separate. So uh, I know, AC, maybe as a, as a newcomer, you have some uh, observations that would be uh, beneficial here. Well, I mean, what, what I've always been impressed by is that cumulative, um, that cumulative nature in that it is a building process. Mm -hmm. We start off very uh, simple and elementary. And what's interesting is, you know, the, the women in the class, they learn that these simple tools work mm -hmm. and that success breeds more success. And so as the scenarios become more involved, as the um, assailants become more aggressive, the women's confidence is growing right along with it. And the other women in the class are watching the other women succeed. And so, again, that feeds into that community that uh, Martha and Rob spoke of. 
that it's very much about watching everybody succeed and therefore the confidence and the empowerment is spread throughout the group. And uh, so as you, you know, as we get into the third day where the scenarios are very realistic and, um, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, uh, frightening, um, but they have built, they have built a foundation that uh, supports them. And I think that uh, that's really what's been key, you know, as a, as someone who's, who's been learning uh, the process is like, that's how, that's why it works the way it works and why it works as well as it works. So now I'm a parent and I have a, a kid, a young boy or a daughter. And um, as a parent, uh, let's say I've gone through my own traumatic violent attack and it's, it's something that has haunted me and my kids starting to, to uh, come of age, or uh, it's also happened to my child now. It seems to me that one of the things that would hold me back from this is that the, 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 the isolation and trauma that I've experienced having um, you know, gone through a violent attack or, or the fear of how my child will react to going through a scenario of the attack would keep me from coming to the workshop. So it seems to me that inevitably when people do finally stand, have the courage and say, you know what, I got to do this. This can never happen again. We, the legacy ends here with me and with my child. We're doing this together or I'm going to go do this and model it. What do you do when someone has a traumatic response? What do you do when someone has a triggered response while they're in workshop and, and they, they shake and the crying starts and the, the breathing limits and the eyesight narrows and they go into limbic brain. What, what do you guys do in that scenario? I'm sure it happens all the time. I think uh, the potential is always there. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, we go back to this scaffolding or the building, the accumulation that we're talking about, that by the time people get into a scenario, um, they have really had an opportunity already to practice what I think we would call maybe grounding skills. Um, that I mean, there's a lot of, I, I should mention, impact as well as other, uh, I mean, we're part of a larger community of empowerment self-defense that is really rooted in evidence about uh, how the brain works, that the effects of trauma on people, how to uh, give people experiences that enable them to manage, to manage trauma. So that um, we know, for example, that people, if people can position their bodies in ways that feel powerful, um, that that is something that just that physical adjustment of people's bodies can help, um, can help in terms of grounding themselves. So really right from the beginning, we work on things simple like breath and breathing. Um, and, and I think in the beginning when we do that, like whether it's in warm-ups or just as we're starting, that may seem like a very just like I know how to breathe type of thing. But just practicing on breathing, uh, 
another thing that we do very early on is standing and ways to stand that help a person calm themselves. Um, so I think that there, that, that is all part of the scaffolding that AC and Rob were both talking about. So that by the time someone gets to a, a situation where the fear, uh, their fear or memories or flashbacks, lots of things are happening, they have some tools already in the class that they can begin to draw upon to ground and calm themselves. And I believe the power of this course is that we create an environment where people, participants, do this for themselves. And um, that's not to say that there aren't times where people, we have to interrupt a scenario. And we have pro different protocols, like what the suited instructors do, what the class assistants do. Um, and, you know, choice, choice is the foundation of what, of what we do. So we never force anyone um, to come back into a scenario. But, uh, but because by the time we get to these really scary aspects, they have so many tools, and as AC said, said have built up confidence. Um, people are learning how to manage their own adrenaline. They're learning how to manage their own trauma and their own fears. I'd also support that with, uh, we do screen to some degree students coming into the class. Uh, and definitely, you know, if someone has recently suffered an attack, sometimes we say, you know, maybe you want to wait and, and get some additional support before you take our class. We've, we've done that at times when we felt that was appropriate. Um, and the other piece of it goes back to the focus being on the class itself. So when we've had students who've had some flashbacks or, or those types of challenges, um, they're not, we don't take them away to a corner and continue the class. The class stops. And I've been in teaching not as long as Martha, but a long time. And I've never, I've never been in a class where we've had someone who've had, who's had to stop to collect themselves or deal with a flashback, but the other students have been incredibly supportive of them and with them the entire time. And I think that goes along with how we manage it as well. So it's definitely not one person's responsibility. It's a communal responsibility to take care of each other. And we all play a role in that, uh, students included. I am curious about the um, different classes that you offer and the age ranges. Um, and because uh, I was looking on your website and I know that you have um, the girls impact and then the core impact, which is for 17 and up. Am I uh, right? 16, 16, 16 and up. And yeah. the girls is for 12 to 15. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two classes and the particular age range that you've chosen? Some of this was just through experience. I, way back when I first started, we did have uh, girls as young as 12 in the core program, this one that is now 16. And we, uh, I think partly that, that, and we're not, I shouldn't say we're, uh, we're not rigid about this because there are some 15 year olds who are really ready for uh, the class that we say 16 and up. And there are 16 and 17 year olds who actually are more appropriate in the uh, impact for girls. So 
part of, is, as Rob talked about, there's a little bit of screening that goes on in the sense that our registration coordinator talks with people. Uh, it might be it might be a parent. It might be the uh, a, a girl or an adult themselves um, to try to figure out what would be the best thing. But the I think the difference the uh, difference is we try to focus on scenarios that twelve to fifteen year olds are m more likely to experience, and that's based on what they tell us. You know, and not to say that there aren't some of the um, situations that we would deal with with adults. But Can you give um, an example of of like what a what a a twelve and up uh, a kid would experience comparatively to the sixteen and up class. Yes. No. I think one of the things is working a lot more on dealing with being taunted or uh, attempts at bullying. Whereas I think in the, or not I think, but in the adult class, uh, language might be much more explicit, sexual language and things like that. Uh, where in the, the girls class, and I think Rob and AC can, well, Rob in particular could probably speak to this a little bit more in terms of constructing constructing the types of scenarios but um, I think it would be much more that that the sexual harassment Maya that you mentioned at the beginning that girls already between 12 and 15 know that that world already unfortunately of catcalling of bullying of making sexual comments or maybe not even being overtly sexual but just dealing with situations that feel uncomfortable and unsafe Rob, do you have something to add to that? Um, I will certainly echo what you said and, and say that's exactly right. I know in the classes that we teach, there are moments or scenarios where we ask the students to decide what they, what, what they want. And uh, the adults inevitably pick uh, a neighbor, a boss, a coworker, uh, those types of situations where the, the, the teens and the tweens will pick friends, or uh, a stranger who tries to look at them, things like that. So that can inform how we, how we do the class and how we construct it as well. But part of it also is a responsibility as instructors to, to not present something to the student that they maybe have never experienced before. And so certainly some, some tweens will have, but some will have not. And so we always wanna make sure, if we're gonna err, we're gonna err on the side of being cautious about the scenarios that we present and not present something that may be overwhelming or inappropriate. Um, Robert, the individual class is, is challenging enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really curious. You've been doing this for a long time and I don't, I don't know the right term. So please forgive me if I use the wrong term, but on the receiving end of this training that mm -hmm. you, you provide um, you provide the predator, you provide the shadow, you provide what the, the Japanese and the ninja would call the kage. Um, mm. you, you provide the dark side that these women um, are standing in their power and standing in this, in this place of their, their own aggression and protective nature and, and focusing it on you. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the question is twofold. 
Number one, do you ever feel when you take the suit off the remnants of the anger that women have for the years of perpetration upon them? Mm-hmm. And number two, um, well, let, let me just start with the first question. Do, do you ever have to kind of go home and, and sit in the hot tub and, and just kind of shake off the pain that they've put into this focus? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I wish I had an easy and ready answer for you. I definitely notice after a class, um, you know, I might just be feeling down and bummed out for a day or two about the narratives that I've heard that day, you know, where, as Martha said many times in our circles, students will identify being survivors and talk in sometimes in some detail about what they've experienced. Um, and it's pretty horrific stuff. So sometimes that just hits you like a, like a weight and you just, you just hit, sit with it. And I just reinforces the reason why I do the work, but I can't say there's a specific coping mechanism or thing I do to deal with it. Um, it just reinforces why I'm there and why we work together to, to, to be partners in, in ending it. I, yeah. my, my second question, Rob, is, is what do you know now um, a- after doing this work with women and, mm-hmm. and girls for so long that you didn't know before, but you will never forget? Um, I think how, how personal the narratives are when people talk about it and how much it affects their day-to-day life. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll quote Martha, and Martha, uh, forgive me if I, if I put the, get the words wrong about that in our world, women trade freedom for safety. And that is a bargain that I seldom have to experience as a man. And, you know, how often in a day do I take into account my actions and whether or not I'll be safe or not? And the answer is, is very, very low. Not nothing, but very, very low. And for nearly every female identified person I talk to, it's a daily occurrence. And uh, that, that's, that sticks with me when I hear oh, I, 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 I wanted to do X, but I couldn't because I didn't feel safe. Or I would have chosen Y, but it just didn't feel right. And those types of decision-makings, which are, as I think Maya pointed out in her initial uh, discussion, about like, oh, yeah, that's every day for us. And, and those narratives really have sunk with me. I knew that they existed, but hearing them first person obviously was very impactful. Mm-hmm. Maya, I see that look on your face. You're, you're pissed. No, no, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. And it's funny because right before you asked that question, I had literally written that question down on my piece of paper and put the period after this. And that was the next question I was going to ask. So I'm mostly just listening. And that's what I was curious about too. And especially with AC, I mean, I've, I've also obviously known AC for a long time. Um, and that's what I was curious about too. You know, both of you, obviously, Robert, you spoke to it and AC, I know, you know, you mentioned just you've lived your life as a pretty good guy. And so now doing, now doing this um, with women of all ages and, you know, seeing other women in your life grow up and deal with this, you know, how has this changed? How has this changed your point of view on, uh, on this culture that we have on this abuse culture against women on rape culture, on sexual assault against women on women's violence. And, you know, what, 
what has changed from being an already pretty aware guy to now this being part of your life every day? Right. I mean, I think, I mean, certainly for me, um, being part of not in our house was a big wake up call. Um, because it became, it was, it was immediately, you know, like you started taking inventory of, Oh, Oh, I did watch that happen. And I did let that go by and I didn't say anything then. And I thought I just let them take care of that. And, you know, it was just all of the times when you go, Oh gosh, I was right there when that was happening. And I, I, you know, thought, well, it's, it's okay. If it was a problem, somebody would say something. And then you recognize, no, it's a problem, and I'm going to be the guy who says something. Mm -hmm. And that will empower somebody else to say something. Um, there is something kind of uh, great about being um, part of Not In Our House and being in a, say, uh, you know, I, I do, say, two or three shows a year. And when I'm in the cast, there is a sense of, okay, there's somebody here who's watching. And... That, you know, I feel like that having somebody there who's going to have an eye open clues everybody else in to have their eyes open and to have everyone else's back. And, you know, it, it becomes less about, you know, your career at that point. It becomes about taking care of other people. And so that's that was a big shift for me. And I feel like that has been I felt a big change um, within the community and also when the Me Too movement uh, came up last year, I saw a lot of men, again, have their eyes opened and realize, oh, yes, I have heard that, that locker room talk. And I thought, well, I don't want to be the one to cause a problem. It's like, no, 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 be the one to cause the problem because it's a problem already. The problem okay. is that we're letting it continue. And I think that you bring up a great point because this is, and we talked about this in the last podcast with, um, uh, damsel in, in defense, but um, this kind of culture of not saying anything, that if it was right. really a problem, someone would say something or, oh, I don't want to start anything. And I, you know, and I told the story of when I was in, in middle school and I was sexually harassed, when I told another person, the response was, well, he does that to all the girls. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's <laughs> and, yep. and that was the culture. That's how it was handled by the school and by the other kids. And that, and it was another student who said that to me. So she had already learned that that's okay because that's just what he, that boys will be boys. And so shush, you know, <laughs> just don't right. talk about it because, right. oh, it could have been worse. And then, you know, and you, you push that, that same logic all the way up to women who are victims of rape and are victims of abuse. And it's still, oh, I don't want to be the one to cause the problem or, you know, someone, someone would have said something and to, right. you know, that's that's where we you know i mentioned it again in the last podcast we have to it all comes full circle to starting the conversation you know to even start doing an impact program you have to start that conversation if not with someone else with yourself about this is this is a culture that we have this is happening to to women to me to to my children um to the people i love to my significant other um so what am I going to do about it now? Now that I know that this is, you know, if it is, if it is a wake up call, if this is a realization, now what, you know, okay. Do you just kind of go on with your life or do you talk about it? Do you be the one to say something? Are you an advocate? And do you choose to be a safe person for someone who's going through it? Um, right. 
And I think that that's, it's something that's seriously lacking and, and can't be. And the statistic we brought up in the last podcast was that 99% of um, perpetrators of sexual violence will walk free. And that number has to come down. And, and part of the reason why these people are walking free is, free is because things aren't being said. And when they are being said, other people are hushing them. You know, uh, there, there's all these reasons. Oh, well, her skirt was short. Oh, she said yes at first. Oh, well, she was drunk. Oh, well. And it's just excuse after excuse and victim shaming to make it easier, to make it quiet. And it just, it has to stop. And so, um, yeah, just touching on that point, like you said, you know, it's a choice to be the person that says something. And so, you know, yeah. you have to make that choice for yourself, for your loved ones, for your children. You know, your kids have to know that you're a safe person. And unless you're going to tell them and unless you're going to show them, how are they going to know? When I think that that's part of the power of the class that we teach is, you know, what you're, what you're talking about is I think the worst thing is for people to have others around witness degradation, humiliation, abuse, and there's silence. And Rob made reference to this earlier that one of the big things with the, the course, the program that we teach is that there are witnesses who believe you, who yell for you, who cheer for you, who support you. And I believe that um, uh, both AC and Rob have already talked about the community, but that becomes, I think, a big source of the sense of empowerment is how different it feels to have people with you rather than silent. Martha, you've, you've been doing this work for 30 years with Impact, developing their curriculums. And you said before that you were a sociology professor of women's studies. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So my question for you is, in your time of, of you growing up, and you going to college, and you going to grad school, and teaching women's studies, and then being come, becoming involved at the real, at the physiological aspect of women's work. Um, what's changed? And if you were teaching women's studies today, could you tell the girls in college that it's better now? Well, first, I would say I've really continued until just a couple of years ago, teach, continuing to teach sociology and women's studies. But my impact experience definitely infused that teaching of trying to engage much more the whole person. Um, I think there, there are things, there are things that have changed. The, the existence of the programs that, that we offer I mean, I think that's huge. And there, there's more self-defense, empowerment self-defense available than uh, uh, certainly when I was growing up. And there's conversation. I think, Maya, you, you talked about this as starting the conversation. I, I think back to uh, one of the first, uh, I was involved in the women's liberation movement in uh, 1970. I got involved. And there, there wasn't a word. We didn't, there, there wasn't any word or phrase sexual harassment. Um, 
I think to have people openly speak about rape and sexual assault, that just wasn't happening. So I think um, maybe some of the, the bad behavior continues and that's, uh, but there's more discussion, there's more analysis. I think there's more understanding of what we need to do, uh, at least on an interpersonal level to interrupt that. So yeah, I think there have been some positive changes, but there's more work to be done for sure. Robert, one of my one of my final questions for you before we hit closing remarks is, um, what is it what does it mean to be a good man? I hear, I very much experience you as being, um, <laughs> I think you said far left of center, um, mm -hmm. and and I and I hear the the appreciation and the understanding of of true feminism in your voice. Um, what makes a good man? What have what have you become through this work? Um, I'm, I'm probably going to shy away from the good man label. I, I try to be the best person I can. Um, I identify as a white male heterosexual, so I have a lot of privilege in my, in my world. And so I think the times when I'm at my best and the times when I think it's, um, it works out best in the world is when I'm aware of that privilege. Uh, power is fairly neutral. You can use it for good purposes or not good purposes. So when I have the opportunities to have power and have privilege, use them for, for the greater good uh, and not for personal gain. Um, and that's probably the, the best way I can describe it to you. It's not a lot of specifics or particulars in there. AC, my, one of my ending questions for you and, and in, in true form to our friendship Man, what's it like getting kicked in the nuts with that gigantic <laughs> thing on? <laughs> that's what we all really want to know, right? I really do. Um, I mean, those suits, I mean, you're, and you guys are wearing the traditional, the gigantic duct tape helmets with the huge eyes and the, and the big mouth yep. and the overalls with the pads underneath. And I remember you, you saying to me that you had to have a custom uh, made groin yep. belt. And uh, <laughs> and they really are designed to really take a full tilt, uh, 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 you know, boot. So what's it like? Right. What's it like being in the suit? Well, I will say, I mean, and that's actually what, uh, you know, drew me to Impact is that uh, the women are allowed to, or they're encouraged to, uh, strike full force. And there isn't that sense, like with the fist suits, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a problem in that you can't really unleash a palm strike uh, or an elbow strike because the the mask. Right. With the big padded helmets that we have, women are, you know, that is a, a primary target. You know, the head and the groin are the uh, primary targets. And so that's where, of course, the instructors wear the most padding. Um, uh, in terms of what it's like in the suit, uh, it's... Um, because of the nature of the padding, uh, it's a little, uh, it's a little like moving inside of a Pacific Rim robot in that you don't really, you don't, it's not really your body anymore. Um, but it's very, very safe. And, uh, we always demonstrate that to the class that, uh, we cannot get hurt in the suit. You know, and because we don't want the women worrying about us, we want them to, you know, fulfill their, their full potential 
and uh, strike as hard as they can, as many times as they can until the whistle blows. So um, being in a suit, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's the, and, and I, I don't know if anybody mentioned it earlier, but um, there's a very distinct line drawn between when we are wearing the, the helmets and when we are not. When we are wearing the helmets, we are the assailant and we are not good people. When we take the helmets off, then we are Rob, we are AC, and we are instructors and we are allies. And I think that helps uh, the women in terms of the, you know, we were talking to Rob about um, kind of the, the negative energy toward men. Um, they, they see us as allies uh, and they see us as instructors. And when we have the helmet on, we are, you know, just a pure assailant. So I think that helps uh, really draw a line and, and uh, allows, allows everyone to feel safe in the room. Um, and, you know, what it feels like wearing a suit is like, I think Rob said, it's like, it's something you have to do because you can do it, you know, because I, because I am, um, because I, because I am, uh, because I have this fitted suit now, I have to wear it and uh, I'll wear it as long as I can. Maya, you had a, a question earlier about the suit. I can't remember what it was about the, the face. Yeah, I, I guess it was just a brief question on, on is, and I think they actually touched on it is just part of the class actually teaching how, how to punch, how to hit, how to kick. Um, because obviously, uh, even though uh, AC, like you were just mentioning, they can hit as hard as they can, um, the impact on a wrist of hitting a padded helmet is much different than hitting a jaw um, sure. or a head or, you know, catching, catching a bone. Um, people break their wrists when they punch incorrectly. So um, I guess that was just more for, you know, parents and, and clarifying are you, how much of the class is, is skill of martial arts and how much of it is punch and kick as hard as you can? Well, I would say that um, we don't teach punching for those very reasons, because it's very difficult, you know, to line up your wrist and all those things. So um, the strikes, the techniques that we teach, we have selected because we've seen them uh, be the most, most safe um, to the person using them while also being devastating to the, the person uh, who they're striking. Um, so yeah, it's really important, I think, to pick techniques that don't require really fine motor movement, doesn't, doesn't require manipulation of the smallest bones in our, our body, um, so that uh, the things that we teach tend to rely on our large muscles. Um, so we certainly in uh, most of our classes, while we teach sort of opening moves like a strike to the face, we're, we're really generally going for kicks. We're trying to position people so that we can use our strong thighs and um, hips. Martha, um, as we're wrapping up here, I think the most important part of this is how do people find you? A parent, a teacher, a oh. clinician who wants to put on a workshop, host a workshop, send their child to a workshop, go to the workshop themselves. How do they get in touch with you guys? I think the best way I would recommend going to our website, which is www.impactchicago, that's all one word, .org. Um, we also have uh, an email of info 
at impactchicago.org. And uh, the advantage of the website is they can get a lot more information about, about our programs. If they're not in Chicago, is there an Impact International site that they can have access to to find something near them? Yes, uh, that one is impactselfdefense.org. And that would have a listed all of the uh, impact organizations in the United States and outside. Okay. We also travel. So if, if there was a group that wanted to bring, uh, ha had the students but didn't have the instructors, they could bring the Chicago Impact instructors out to teach their class. Oh, fantastic. You guys, um, they, there was something said, Robert, you said it, and it sounded like you were stealing from the boss goddesses thunder here. <laughs> you said it. You said uh, women trade freedom for safety. I directly stole that from Martha, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a hammer. That's a hammer blow right there. And I, I want to say it again for any male who's listening, because it is one of those statements that, I feel that in the pit of my stomach. Women trade freedom for safety. Mm -hmm. You feel it in the pit of your stomach, but that's yeah. just, that's not, <laughs> that's not news for me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's right. it, right? That, that, right? That's how this whole thing started, Maya, was you and I talking about how Dylan, your brother, who's living in a big city, doesn't have to worry about what time he's walking down the street, and he doesn't have to worry about carrying a self-defense weapon. He doesn't have to worry about what he's wearing. And in 2018, my daughter does. And I know what you're capable of. I know you know what you're capable of. And, and the success that you've had in your life has shown it. But how I worry about you and how I worry about Dylan are very different. And that's the part that, that's the pit of the stomach thing. That's the, I don't want you to trade your freedom. That's not, but your safety is, is worth it and your life is worth it. And this sucks. And this sucks that this is still going on. Martha, you're about to say something, please. Do. Well, I was just going to say, so that's what we're all about is there's no trade. You've got freedom and safety. Mm -hmm. That is our goal. This is important. And I, and I, I really believe that every, until, until consent education is standard, until men stop pointing at the, the length of the skirt or how many drinks she's had or at the fact that she said yes five times and no once as the reason why they couldn't. Something Maya said about the, you know, the, the girl in school who wears clothes and she gets sent home because the boys can't concentrate. Mm -hmm. Until, until men point the fingers in the mirrors, we're asking women to continue to take the responsibility for safety, for their own safety. And um, this is why impact, this is why these types of programs. So if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you got a daughter, you got a son who needs this, because of bullying, don't don't hesitate. Let's let's do these types of things. You guys, Martha, Robert, AC, 
thank you guys so much. This is this is this is a big deal. This is big work. And and to 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 be a little kitschy, you guys are making an impact. Thank you. Aaron, thank you very much. And um, I know you, you made a comment just there in closing. I know it came from the, the best of places, but you talked about, you know, worrying about what your daughter wears and things like that. And we just have to point out what a woman wears is a complete myth about sexual assaults. Um, yeah. So Victim shaming. Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. And want your audience to know that it's one of the biggest myths that's out there. But I know, please hear me. I know you, it came from your heart in a place of, uh, goodness, so I, I don't want to not acknowledge that. No, I get you, Robert, and I, and I yeah. know that this is these are one of those things that as men we have to learn. You know, if I say the thing I think is supportive, but it's actually continuing the paradigm, um, it's not supportive and it doesn't help. So I appreciate the yeah. point out. I appreciate the call out, and my daughter has always chosen what she wears, whenever <laughs> she wants to wear it, and <laughs> God help anyone who says anything to her because I know what she has in her right hand. Um, <laughs> you guys, thank you so much. Uh, AC, you're, you're like my big brother, man. And I, I love you for getting involved with these people. Uh, it's, and uh, I'm proud of you for doing this work. And, and I'm glad I was a part of, of the beginning of this. And I think with someone like Robert, who's been doing this long, just hearing how he talks, what a great mentor. And Martha, you are the boss goddess. There's no doubt in my mind. So thank you for thank you for steering this ship. You're you're obviously in charge out there. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, you for having us on, Aaron. Yeah. Of course. Of Take course. Care. Folks, this is this is episode three of this topic, and there are more. I've I've booked some more guests. I want you to stay tuned. I want you to share this podcast with your friends um, who have children, people who are struggling with their with their teens who are with at-risk behavior. Give me a listen, a like, a subscribe, and a share, please. The mantra is, parents, you take care of yourself first, you take care of your adult relationship second, and you take care of your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I want to say a huge thank you to Dan, who's working overtime on editing all my shows right now. He, you do such great work, Dan. Thank you so much. And I want to thank Mental Health News Radio boss, goddess Kristen Walker, for once again, spending as much time as I need on the phone to say, how do I do this? What the hell is an RSS feed and everything else? She's always right there to help me out. Kristen, thank you so much. I love what you've created because it gives me an opportunity to meet people like this. And Maya, um, without a doubt, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such an admirer of yours. I'm such a big fan. Um, and thanks for co-hosting with me. And I'm looking forward to doing more of these. Me too. Thank you, Dan. All right, everybody, thank you so much. And folks, we will see you next time on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility. And also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.